0: Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Read All About It podcast with me, Paul Cuddihy. As I look back and have a listen to some of the highlights from previous shows throughout the year. In this episode, Hugh MacDonald, Karen Campbell, Doug Johnston, Katrina Child, Stephen Kiddy, and Karen Jones all choose their favourite childhood read. I know... I previously wrote a book called "Read All About It." Mm-hmm. It was my year of reading more. A uh-huh, great book as well. And you'd contributed it with. Uh, I'd asked people, various people, mm-hmm. their favorite book. So it wasn't a surprise, and it's a I mean, it's such a classic that you've chosen as your your favorite book from childhood.
1: Yeah, Treasure Island, Robert Louis Stevenson, and I think for a variety of reasons, you know, in childhood you get the you get the feeling that a book is a classic and has there's something about it that it's one of those books. That you should read, Mm -hmm. you know. And as a child, there's maybe a little resistance to that because you might think, "Oh, this is going to be a bit difficult," or "This is going to be a bit in that modern word challenging." And as soon as I picked it up and started reading it, I mean, it's so banal to see, but it's such a great book that you could read it now, and I have read it since, and you would get so much more out of it than Mm -hmm. I did it. And honestly, I'd be six or seven when I read it. And you get so much air, it would stand up now of a thing of substance, but it really stood up then and the thing about it was that it I knew already that reading was fun. And I knew I loved reading and I knew reading was going to be part of my life. But I didn't realise that reading so called classics would be such fun. Yeah. That's quite a nice thing to find out very early on, isn't it? It's an incredible thing, because what you'll find out in, in later life is somebody will say to you, oh, that's like War and Peace, or you will read War and Peace. And you say, have you read War and Peace? Because War and Peace is a really readable, enjoyable book. It's a fantastic book, but it's there's some kind of, like, pretension. If you say, oh, I was reading War and Peace with my holidays, you say, I've read War and Peace, and like, it's a great novel, it's an important novel, and there's one that... For Your later questions, it, it came pretty high up us. But Treasure Island was so exciting, so dramatic, so um, and, and that great thing where it takes you to another land you know, you're maybe sitting reading it in those of six or seven, sitting reading it in Glasgow, and it's taking you to you know, desert islands and uh, Caribbean, and th- are just fantastic. it was interesting when you chose
0: this because uh, one of the podcast guests, Chris Dolan, who I, of course you know, a really good Scottish writer, and his first book from childhood it was Kidnapped uh-huh. and, and in choosing Kidnapped he said he, he tried, He was about maybe 9 or 10 and when he tried reading Treasure Island he found that more difficult uh-huh. then went to, to Kidnapped absolutely loved that then went back to Treasure Island mm-hmm. and appreciated it at, uh-huh. at, all the more because he'd read Kidnapped for
1: But the greenness of great writers um, uh, and certainly great in the best sense popular writers of you know uh, of the 19th century 20th century certainly w- was to be accessible because these people these people weren't writing for literary merit you know um, Dickens was writing for example for money, for money. <laughs> he was writing installments in books yeah. and books and Robert Louis Stevenson of course had this great uh, artistic element to him but he knew he had to write it to be sold and to be read so these books were, not terrible were readable, you know, they, they, they were, um, and although now you see, it's like the great things, that simplicity about Kidnapped and, and, and Treasure Island when it, it's like everyone else, you really have to be that good to make it that simple.
0: But also what I love about Treasure Island and Kidnapped, and you, you've already mentioned it, is you read it as an adult and, mm-hmm. and if, I mean, I actually bought another Copy of Kidnap recently because mm. I'd given away my uh, so copy. and it's one of the books. I'm, I'm, it's on my my list of books mm. to read again. And I know, even though I've read it a uh-huh. couple of times,
1: I'm so looking forward to reading it again because mm. it will just, as you say, you, you'll get something new from it. Uh, well, I'm going to read it again. I'm going to, what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm now in grand children land, and uh, grace of God, if I if I'm allowed, I'm going to you know start. I bought a really beautiful copy for uh, my granddaughter, and I'm going to read it to her every week at right. night. Cause she is, uh, she's already kind of showing the the McDonald kind of genes really? for being a reader. age is she? She's three, but right. she she loves books. And loves you see
0: that, that accessibility that. Is just and even
1: if you don't understand it at three and four, I think if you're just telling a story at three and four, there's something, something wonderful about sharing a book at a very early age, even though you're not understanding it. It's a story. And you're hearing some elements of the story which you can grasp, but the great thing as well is you're hearing things like stories are important, books are important, and your granddad wants to spend time with you. These are important things to know in your life that people want to give you time, that you're worth people's time, that reading People think that reading might be important to Like If it isn't, that's fair enough. She ends up says it isn't. That's fine. But given that opportunity, I think it's, a, it's been the great. It's what it, reading, you know, has it, been such a wonderful thing in my life. And when you're reading the book to her, do you, you oh, put on I? a few different voices? Oh, and, and make it dramatic. Well, I haven't started the Treasure Island because I think she's just slightly too young for me. But well, I buy her books all the time. Uh, I mean, and books, kids' books now are wonderful. Mm-hmm. You know, beautifully illustrated and all that. And yeah, I do the whole, I do the whole um, uh, nominated for best supporting actor in a <laughs> child's book under the age of five. <laughs> That'd be a bit different,
0: another career for you, audio books.
1: <laughs> Quite. Uh, <laughs> we'll wait and see how your granddaughter that, got. on for that.
2: experience of the magic of books was my mom came home from work one day and I must have been maybe five or six and she had a big box of books that somebody at her work had brought in because her daughter had outgrown them and my mom said oh I'll take them eh, for Karen and you know literally diving into this box and up until that point I'd probably been reading the Twinkle comic and you know maybe some other quite baby books but this was full of Enid Blyton books and I think maybe some what Katie did and stuff for probably older readers so there was no one book in there, it was just this almost greed that, you know, you could, world upon world was there, just open pages and you could plunge into something new and so I was hooked from that point. Um, but I think the favourite book I can remember from childhood, there's a couple, there was a child's garden of verses that my grandma got me, you know, Robert Louis Stevenson and it was illustrated and there was beautiful illustrations and it really magical, you know, fairy-like that you can see faces in the fire-type drawings. So that transfixed me. And another novel that was called um, Smoky House by a writer called Elizabeth Goode, and I've never read anything else of hers. And I don't know why I loved it so much. It was just about Cornish smugglers and about animals that could talk and um, pixies that lived under the ground. And um, So it was like an adventure story and fantasy and magic all rolled up in one way predates Harry Potter. And again, it was just this idea that you can do anything with words. You can go anywhere and flit in and out and there's no rules and there's no boundaries. And I think as a writer, as an adult, it's really important you, you retain that idea that you probably had as a child reading that the world is your oyster in writing, that you shouldn't be restricted. Just just see where it goes and see what happens. You can always tidy things up afterwards. Yeah.
0: I mean, what age were you when you, you read that book?
2: I could read before I went to school, basic stuff like reading comics and things. So I probably would have been seven, maybe, seven or eight when I read that book.
0: Because when, when you, when you emailed me and you mentioned the Robert Louis Stevenson Yeah A Child's Gardener Verses I was so pleased because obviously we were just sitting here doing the podcast When you hear the finished version there's music at the start and finish Which I've written with a couple of friends and Basically what we've done we've been in a wee kind of group called The Bookends And what we do is we take Robert Louis Louis Stevenson poems and put them to music Oh
2: fantastic And it goes back to
0: when one of my, one of my daughters was in primary school And it was uh, Where Go The Boats Which is in that book mm-hmm. and she was given the poem home from school to maybe learn it and mm. there's one way we did to learn it I just put some basic music to it and that's how we, we learned and so we've gone on and yes. I've kind of written some other oh. songs so I was absolutely delighted with <laughs> and I I mean it says, I mean I'm, I'm rubbish at lyrics but Robert Stevenson is considerably better than, and they are like lyrics as absolutely. well Absolutely
2: and, and even now when I'm on a train you know that one Faster than fairies, faster than witches, over the hedges, over the ditches, the, the, the rhythm of the train. I still hear that in my head. There's a, a musicalness, a musicality, about... Yeah, yeah. Still would not a song with that one, but... Yeah, well, <laughs> it kind of does its own song, I suppose. But yeah, I, I think, you know, and my grandma, when I think about it, she, she got me, like, the collected works of Shakespeare when I passed my O grades, which probably most teenage girls wouldn't appreciate. And I don't know if I did at the time, because I thought, I've just studied my Beth. I don't need the whole set. But... It was like she was laying down the foundations maybe for the, the future in terms of these are things you should have on your, your bookshelf yeah. even just to go back to and refer.
0: And the one you chose, it was one of the, the books from the, the Asterix series and that's Asterix in Britain.
3: Yeah, I, I I used to love the. I mean, you know, it's not a very, it's not a very literary answer, is it? I'm sure you get authors on, uh, you know, who are reading. I don't know, To Kill a Mockingbird and uh, in the Rye and all these stuff when they were like really young. But I loved the Asterix books, uh, and the other thing I really loved was the Charlie Brown books. For some reason, we had a whole bunch of like Peanuts cartoon books in the house, which I just thought were brilliant. But the Asterix books were great. I just, I, I, I mean, on a really basic level, you know, there's they're really well written and really well illustrated. For that age, I guess I would have been, I don't know, seven, eight, whatever, nine, something like that. And, and there's full of like ridiculous sort of slapstick humour and like knockabout violence, you know, cause it's all about Asterix and Obelix beating up Romans. That's essentially in a different scenario, each single book, but the, but the Asterix and Britain one, uh, I just like, my original copy, it felt a bit, so I read it so much cause it just has, has so many jokes in it about about Britain, <laughs> It's absolutely brilliant. And of course, it's written from a French point of view. And so it's got all these ridiculous jokes about, you know, about British culture now but transposed 2000 years ago or whatever. And there's just loads of stuff, loads of, loads of phrases in it. I reread it recently, actually, you know, after you asked me about this, I reread it. And there was stuff that I, there was like, still phrases that, that ring in my head that, I, that come into my mind when, when things happen. It's, it's hilarious.
0: I wonder as well, you know, that way, particularly when you're when you're a child and you get that love of reading, the fact that it's a series of books. So you read one and you like it and then you can go back and get the next one and the next one and I'm sure libraries up and down the country had all those books that and then you're suddenly engaged in that series.
3: Yeah, there were so many of them. And like I'm sure I'm pretty sure I learned like almost everything I know about history I learned <laughs> from the Asterix books and quite a lot of geography as well. Like there's this running there's a there's several running jokes in Asterix in Britain. One is about how it suddenly gets foggy. All the time, like they just stand about, and then suddenly it just gets foggy. Uh, and there's a the thing where they all drink warm beer, which is like, and then Asterix and Oblate. As French, French people are like, are well, basically going, What the fuck is this? That's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, there's a token Scottish guy in it who's just all like, totally like, hootsman and and all this stuff. And there's a, there's a bit in it because they all drink, they basically stop. Like everyone in Britain stops at 5pm to drink hot water for some reason, for a little ritual. And so they, wrote, they can't find the Romans. And then it's a long convoluted, convoluted story. Basically, Asterix invents tea because Getafix has brought some like herbs back from the Far East and he chucks it in the water and pretends it's a magic potion. And so they drink it. So basically the idea is that Asterix invented, he brought tea to Britain. and It's, like, it's, total, it's
0: so utterly stupid, but I loved it. No, so I was going to. I don't know if it's quite a disclaimer, but just in case anybody's listening who's never read the books, in case they're slightly alarmed that, that Asterix is, is swearing in the books, He were just emphasising.
3: <laughs> if there is, if there's swearing in it, it's in Latin because there's a, there's another running joke about pirates. You talk in Latin, and there's all sorts of. I mean, the whole series are brilliant, like you say, like in the Asterix and the Great Crossing, they basically discover America by accident. And when they go to Egypt, like Asterix and Cleopatra, like oh, half the Egyptians are talking in hydro- hieroglyphics and <laughs> stuff like that. And, like the little speech bubbles are just full of like, hydro- uh, hieroglyphics. It's, I mean, there's so many good jokes, visual gags as well.
0: Do you know what I thought was amazing when I was just uh, looking into the books I had talking to you? It's 38 volumes published, but it's still going. I think the most recent one was published last October, October 2019. And so they've still, effectively they've kept the franchise going. But the guy, the co-creator, was a guy called Alberto Uderzo, I think it was. He only passed away earlier this year, although he'd stopped writing the books or working on the books maybe about 10, 11 years ago. But I hadn't realised that they were still producing new ones.
3: Yeah, well, there was, there was, I think there was a big lull. I mean, there was a, I couldn't tell you the exact number, but when I was a kid, there was already about 20. And I, and I don't think there was any new ones for a long time. And then I think they got a new, they got a new collaborator in for um, Uderzo. Um, so I think there were some of them. There was some argument; those ones weren't so good. But I mean, you know, I mean, but they must. I mean, I don't know what the sales would be like on those Asterix books, but they'd be like millions and millions and millions. I mean, they're hugely internationally successful, and there's a theme park, isn't there? There's a French theme park, I think. There's not Asterix World or some, whatever it's called. So I, think, I mean, it makes sense from a publishing point of view for them to try
0: and keep that going as much as they can. There was certainly one film that was made. I don't know how successful it was a few years back. I'm sure it I'm sure it was transferred to the big screen, but I, I don't think it quite replicated what the books were.
3: Yeah, was that a live, it was a live action, wasn't it, with actors, wasn't it? I never saw it, but yeah, it didn't, I, I remember hearing it didn't go down particularly well. Yeah, and there's a really, I mean, it's actually, reading back, there's a really sort of sharp comedy to them. Like, they're, they're not mucking around. There's quite a lot of social commentary about things thrown in there as well. Part, you know, But it's, it's kind of hidden by, I mean, I mean, it's essentially the the story of, like, you know, rebels fighting against the establishment, isn't it? Because the Roman Empire are trying you know, to take over their little Gaulish village and they're like the only people that can they can hold out against it and so there's quite a lot of that stuff in there but it but it's in amongst running jokes and slapstick humor so you get away with it I think
4: yeah this was a really difficult choice actually because I I read so much when I was a kid I read loads and loads and loads and I remember my granny saying to me that You could tell that I was just desperate to learn to read for myself from a very early age because I just wanted to be able to read. And um, I could have chosen a lot of things, I think, for this one. I almost went with The Famous Five because... I read all those, you know, Famous Five, um, Roald Dahl, all those kind of classic authors when I was younger. And The Famous Five was the first book I ever got out of the library. And I remember right. my dad taking me to the library. And I was. And just, you still remember that? Yeah, I yeah. remember that vivid memory of. And I didn't know what to choose because I was just overwhelmed by all the choice. And yeah. my dad was like, oh, The Famous Five were quite good. Um, <laughs> And I was like, "Well, I don't know which one to choose because there's like a whole row of them. And he was like, well, just choose the first one and then see how you get on. So I did. And then I remember going back and just working my way through the entire series. So I almost kind of went with that because that kind of set me off on my reading journey, I suppose. Because the librarian actually said to my dad that I was our best customer, apparently, because I would just devour books. And that's why I'm always like big up libraries so much, because they're so important. And I would never have been able to have read the, the wealth, like the wealth and quantity of books that I read if it wasn't for my
0: yeah. my
4: local library so um, I would always champion libraries because it always um, it's always
0: my worry that it's one of those things that people won't appreciate them until they're gone
4: yeah that's the thing yeah and they're they're just so much more than nowadays as well with getting access to the internet and newspapers and being able to do your CV and things on the computers it's just there's just such a kind of they're so important and as I said I don't think I would be the reader or the writer that I am today if it wasn't for my local library. And everywhere I've lived, wherever I've lived, I've always tried to find a library and a swimming pool, wherever I've been. As long as I've got access to a a library and a swimming pool, then I'm usually okay with with what's going on. But um, That ties in nicely with the book you've chosen. the book I actually chose is called Alex um, by Tessa Duder, and it's about um, a teenage girl who's a a really, really good swimmer in New Zealand, and she is trying to qualify for the Olympics. Um, And I I think the author herself was actually a swimmer and she swam for New Zealand so it's set in New Zealand and it's it's at the end I think it's the 60s it's set in and she's just a great character she's so strong and she's so brave and she's so loyal and she's just this ordinary girl but she's got obviously this kind of extraordinary talent and it's just trying to deal with being a girl and being a normal girl at the same time you've got this kind of pressure on your shoulders and then dealing with your family who are all wanting you to do well but and then she also she wants to fit in at school and because she's a swimmer she's got kind of these big shoulders and she's got short hair and so a lot of the girls bully her and say she's a lesbian because she doesn't look like a proper girl should she's muscly and she's strong and I think it's just the swimming's almost like a secondary story to her just trying to survive and be a girl at the same time and the chapters all start with uh, kind of a bit in italics and it's the race so it's the qualifying race for the olympics so each chapter is preceded by this little bit and the race kind of there's a drip feed of information through the book as to how this race goes on as she gets on through the book. And it's also got, about three quarters it's also got one of the saddest things that I've ever read in a book. and right. just cried my eyes out when I read it. And it's one of those things, every time I read this book, I don't want to make it happen. I'm like, I don't, I don't, how could you do that? So what age would you have those. been when you
0: first read it? I,
4: I think I was probably maybe primary seven or something like that. But I read it uh, numerous times, kind of over my teenage years. And there's actually, it's the first in, in a quartet of books, but this has always been my favourite one, just that, that first one about Alex.
0: Because I noticed I did, I did check up on, I hadn't been familiar with the book and Tessa Duder did did. I think she won a silver medal at the, the 1958 Commonwealth Games, swimming for New Zealand. Okay, yeah. But I was also wondering if... And again, I, when I was looking on your website and, and it did mention the fact that you did do a lot of swimming when yeah, you were younger, yeah. and was that one of those books that you stumble upon that obviously it's your love of books, but then you, you find a book about a subject that, and, and an interest in a sport that you're, you're really into? Yeah,
4: definitely. So I was a competitive swimmer for... I can't even remember learning to swim. I just always remember being able to swim. And I... I yeah... I kept it going up until university and even when I left university I still took part in races. Um, I don't do it anymore because I'm not fit enough but <laughs> it's something that has just always been with me and, I, and I've got so many friends from when I was swimming and I, I wasn't at any way, shape or form the Olympics standard but I just really, really enjoyed it and it's always been something that I find kind of de-stresses me like every so often I just feel I need to go and pound the pool a little bit just to kind of work things through and get and sort things out in my head and so I just love swimming so yeah finding a book about someone who who loved swimming as well and yeah just that sort of loyalty and that strong teenage character yeah it really appealed to me at that age. And
0: is that the sort of book obviously you've mentioned that you read it for the first time when you're in primary seven but then you've you've read it at various times and yeah and it still has the same impact but is that is it one of those books that you've got it in your head that when your kids get to a certain age that you want to introduce it to them, but will it be with trepidation because it it means so much to you? It means so
4: much to me, but I also think, because even to me, reading it kind of in the late 80s, probably early 90s, and it was set in like kind of late 50s, 60s, that even that, there's the kind of like a distance to it. So I don't know, even to them, it's an even bigger distance, like trying to get in the, the head of her. So yeah, and I don't know... Like they go to swimming lessons at the moment, so I don't know if even if swimming will be as big mm-hmm. a thing for them as it was for me either. So,
5: When I was thinking about these questions, this is the first book that came to mind, and it's, it's Fever Pitch by Nick Hornby. From a childhood perspective, I didn't read until I was 14 as often you do in these situations, uh, I rang my mother for some uh, for some conversation and advice and said, are there any books that I'm not thinking of because I can't think of anything before Fever Pitch? And she said, and her words were, I could not pay you to read. She said that it was difficult to get me to read the work that school set. I wasn't interested in books. They you know, they, they bought me books and I just never read them. I wasn't bothered. I'd rather be outside kicking a ball around or on my bike, et cetera. But But Fever Pitch, I actually remember the time that, I was i was given the book so i must be i think it was 13 or 14 and it was at a friend's house and it was in his bedroom and we were loading up the new championship manager football game and it, the book came free with the computer game and i remember he tore the sort of wrapping off the game and he handed me the book and he said i've got no use for that you might as well have. and oh. as the game was loading up i just sat there and read the opening bit i assume you've read the books yeah i don't yeah. Do you remember the opening bit the opening bit is him sat in bed with his his wife at the time and she asks him what he's thinking about and he talks about the three stages of lying as he because he's actually <laughs> thinking about the fact that he's seen his friend and his friend's got his arsenal video and then he wonders what his friend thinks of anders limpa <laughs> and then he obviously says you know he, he then has to lie and as obsessives do and say that he's thinking about bill clinton or you know something he read <laughs> in the guardian and it just hit me like a Arrow through the heart, if you like. Of uh, this is what reading can be. It can be about things that you love, and it can take you into the world of things that you love. And it it just completely changed my life, really. Interestingly, that is the same bedroom that I heard live forever by Oasis for the first time. That, from a musical perspective, also changed my life because it sent me on a different journey about the music that I listen to. uh, But which is probably a different podcast for a different day, really. But um, the book. I've reread bits of it this week. I've read it 2 or 3 times, but I've reread bits of it this week and it still stands up. You know, you just dip into bits and those feelings just come back about his writing and and the way he is as a as a football fan and it just immediately makes me feel the same. And that as a as a kid reading, it just made me realize that, you know, books can be enjoyed and that that was a gift that keeps on giving really. I've spoken to a few people who were slightly older than me that have read it who said that they read it probably about the same ha- age that he was when he wrote it and they felt like it told them that it was all right to be the type of football fan they had been and that it made them realize that they weren't the only ones that felt like that and that it you know provided them with uh, with the knowledge that other people were as obsessive as they were and that wasn't a strange thing but i think for me What it did is it gave me permission to be a football fan like that. And Mm -hmm. it it gave me permission to be a football fan that wanted to read and wanted to write. You know, because Hornby in the book talks about his desire to write a lot. It really, really, like, it really changed my life, that book. Even reading it about an Arsenal fan, you sort of go, oh, okay. So he feels like that about Arsenal and I feel like that about United. And that's all right.
0: Because I was wondering, because obviously the fact that, it was, that football was was the heart of the book would have obviously resonated with you as a, as a football fan. But also I think, because it, it was the first in a, kinda, a whole kind of genre of football books that, as you say, spoke about football in a different way. It wasn't your kind of normal, just football autobiographies. It was, from a fan's perspective, intelligent, saying that, you know, there is a, there's a depth behind this passion for the sport. And it kind of, also it was that kind of early 90s, you know, things were changing in terms of how football was being perceived as well in the country.
5: Yeah, and I think he probably helped that because it wasn't... I'm just looking at the book now as we, as we speak, and it, I think it originally came out in 92, so I would have been 10. But I think I got it about 95 or 96. So it obviously I would have been sort of 13 or 14. And it obviously starting to get things like fantasy football and, yeah. you know, the Euros were coming to England and the Premier League had started. But it, it just... It just felt like it was different because it wasn't a hooligan book, which there were lots of around that time. It wasn't another player's autobiography that didn't really tell you a lot. And obviously, you know, since then I've gone back and read some of those those players' books from that time and, and read other football books from around that period and earlier. It, it just had this voice that sort of said, it's all right to feel like this. And I think that that theme throughout it of it didn't really matter that it was about football there may be an equivalent basketball book or you know baseball book or what cricket book or whatever you know even somebody that's into tiddlywinks you know if they feel like that about what they are passionate about he just gave permission for that to be okay and then coupled with the fact that it then showed me that there were people out there writing things that I would enjoy that completely changed how I felt yeah. about books
6: My favourite book from childhood, was my favourite author from childhood, uh, Ruth M. Arthur, who I only recently discovered was actually Scottish, she was born in Glasgow, I had no idea because none, well to tell you, only one of her books was set in Scotland that I remember, but I don't have any physical copies of her books because as a child we didn't buy books, we went to the library, everybody went to the library, you didn't really have books at home, maybe one or two that had been gifts or whatever, so I had no reference to go back and check why I loved those books so much, so I'm working purely from memory. Prior to Ruth after I like every child at that era, I read lots of Enid Blyton, I read all that kind of stuff. And then one day in the library, and it was the book cover, and that is kind of a theme with me, it is quite often the cover that will draw me to the book. So the book cover is, it's a girl standing burning something, you don't know what she's burning, but that just kind of caught my imagination, I thought, what is that? So the book itself is something that I wouldn't read now, because it's quite supernatural, and I've turned into an absolute wuss. I mean, I couldn't read Stephen King if you paid me. I couldn't do anything like that. But those books were—they were always about something or someone who was possessed, which is my biggest fear. That's the thing that That's I quite not a watch. Films. For, yeah. for kids' books as well. Yeah. So, in that particular book, it's a doll called Dido that haunts, or possesses, or has a malevolent influence over generations of a family again Ruth Arthur's books tend to be like that they tend to go generational so you're also getting historical fiction in there as well as this great story so I say the book the doll died and it's the description of the doll as well I I remember vividly because to me at that time a doll was Cindy or Barbie or that's what a doll looked like but this doll is just a wooden carved doll that's got no particular features Kind of made me think of like the Oscars, like an Oscar, but in wood. That's in my imagination what it looked like. And when I think of that, now, that's really creepy. Yeah. That's a really creepy Absolutely doll yeah. for these girls to find. And it's only in each generation, it seems to be only one member of the family that the doll takes influence over. So yeah, that, that's my childhood one, and it's yeah. always stuck with me. At um, what age would you have been? I would have been, I, you know, you I think, it? probably about 11, because or maybe even 10. I always read slightly. Ahead of where is, I should yeah. have been, according to the librarian. But my mother was an avid reader, and she knew what I could cope with, so mm-hmm. she was okay with me having that book. And then I just read everything by Ruth Arthur. They're all out of print. Can't get them anywhere. Because I was
0: amazed when you'd sent the list, and I, I kind of just done a wee Google check, because I hadn't heard <laughs> it. And that, I, the first thing that struck me, she's born in Glasgow, and I thought, yeah. why, yeah. why have I never heard it? I
6: know, I know. And I say, I only found that out recently as well. But to buy her books now, you're buying them secondhand at £100. And much as I loved her, I cannot yeah. justify.
0: It just shows you how rare how well yeah, they must be, and yeah, how, which yeah. is a and shame.
6: And it's sad that they've become, because I, I mentioned it on Twitter one day, and lots of people come in and said, oh my God, I love those books. So it wasn't just me, you know, she had a huge following of that era, so that would have been, what, early 70s, and she had a huge following. But it's just all gone now, There's no there's no way to get it. And it's, it's really quite devastating to think of that. it's it been intriguing that, for you to, yeah. you
0: know, as an adult to get back and read it That's and what see? Because obviously, to do. it would give you a different reaction.
6: That's what I wanted to do. I also wanted to do it from a point of view of sort of writing research as well. I thought, I've never thought about writing children's books, mm. but if I did, I'd like to read the ones that really affected me and see why and think, okay, well maybe I could write like that. So I can't do that, but I can't, I can't yet.
0: So you, you know, you, you said you read maybe slightly ahead of your years yes. and you were getting the books from the library did, you, did your mum ever check and see what you're reading or did you just kind of write as long as you're reading that's okay <laughs> just in case at any point you're getting a book from the library and she picks up and goes what are you <laughs> reading that for
6: no she was alright because we it, because it was a small village and our library was a wooden hut Right, uh, and you know we knew the librarian and she knew that the librarian was never going to let me walk out with something from the wrong section right you know. Uh, And at that point, you were only allowed two library books per ticket. I think it's something like six now in some places, as many as you like. I've got three brothers, none of whom were particularly big readers, and I was my dad. So my mum got all of them library tickets, and we just used their tickets (laughs) because we just read all the time. So we just had all these books. So she was a big like Captain Cookson and all that kind of thing, Uh, and I was obsessed with Ruth Emma. You know, she probably read my books as well, because she would have read anything, so she probably picked them up and read them out of curiosity.
0: Thanks for listening to the Read All About It podcast and I'd love to hear what you thought about it. You can get in touch via Twitter at about 20 on Instagram at ReadAllAboutItPodcast or you can send an email to ReadAllAboutIt at paulcuddehy.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, subscribe, leave a review and spread the word. If you haven't enjoyed it, say nothing to anybody. But I do hope you can join me, Paul Cuddehy, next time on the Read All About It podcast. And in the meantime, keep reading.